Joel was meant to be here this morning, originally, right? But Joel's got certain uh, uh, pressures of an academic nature <laughs> at the moment. And he asked a while back if I would cover this for him, and I, I said yes. And then I looked at the psalm I got, and I said, thank you, God. Because <laughs> if you realize, those who've been here for the whole summer series in psalms, if you look at the ones other people have had to preach on, I, I, I get the... Uh, Am I allowed to say this? The lucky dip? Is that right? <laughs> Don't worry about the theology. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 63 together. Psalm 63. Uh, when I was at school, which is a long, long time ago, and by the way, I got a C, D, and E for A-level, and was absolutely thrilled to bits. Okay? Uh, most people in those days were thrilled to bits with C's, D's, and E's. It's just the way it was. When I was in school, a long time ago, uh, third year, second year education, whatever that is in modern money, I moved schools, and uh, at the end of the school year, uh, as a special treat, we were all herded into the hall and we had a film. And it was the old black and white film of the importance of being earnest, <laughs> right? The end of the next school year, we were all herded into the hall, we had a film. And it was the importance of being earnest all over again. I have to say, if you know the story and so on, it's got nothing to do with the psalm, but this psalm is about the importance of being earnest in a very different, different sort of way, different way. Let's read it. Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you with my, sorry, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. David, um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say he wrote this psalm, though not everybody agrees with that, just as a rider with all these psalms of David. If you, if you read the scholars, whoever they are, they think some of them were written by David and some of them were probably written by other people in the style of David in kind of because of his experiences. I, I go with the former, really, but I just thought I'd better throw that out there. Again, he's running for his life probably during the rebellion of Absalom, his son, who'd taken over the throne. A lot of the army had gone over to Absalom. David was fleeing with his men. They were out in the desert area. They were hiding. Life was pretty difficult. Life is, is a real emotional roller coaster for all of us. Um, for, for us as a family, you, you'll be aware that uh, Friday before last, uh, Betty's mother died, and uh, then, of course, we've had the joy of the week since of our 
our Sunday's wife and the two boys coming up to see us and stay with us, and then Hannah's 18th on Thursday, which was fantastic, and having all our grandchildren together in one place is fantastic, and then we hurtled down on Friday to get the death certificate and, and sort out all the details of the funeral, and all that was going on. And I'm fully aware that compared to many in this room, that's nothing really, because that's life. But David was facing the tough times. He'd had plenty of good ones, and he didn't know it for sure, but he'd have plenty more good ones ahead. But right now, it was difficult. In his brokenheartedness, and he would have been brokenhearted just because Absalom was leading this rebellion, he comes up with these powerful words. And I want to think of what we can learn from it this morning because one thing I want you to know and it's been sort of permeating through everything that's happened this morning God is here God is here we know it those who've been brought up in Christian things know well yes you know uh, Jesus promises to be with us where two or three are gathered together and we know God dwells with his people and we come in we say oh God's here good God So I asked the question this morning, who is your God? Right at the beginning, David says, you, God, are my God. Let's think for a minute or two about who this God is, who we believe is here with us. He's the God who made the heavens and the earth created everything that exists and he did so just by speaking them into existence and as the astronomers of this world discover more and more and more and more and more about this universe God did it all with just a few words that's the God who's here the God who's here is the God who created human beings, Adam and Eve, created us in his image. The God who's here is the God who experienced the rebellion of these two and recognized the awfulness of human sin. The God who is here is the God who rescued Noah and the, his whole family as he allowed the earth to be covered in a deluge. The God who's here is the God who called Abraham, who is then known as Abram, and he called him so that eventually he would know, or his family would know, a, a promised land and that he'd, he'd be given a, a country-sized family. And God continued with this promise through the life of Isaac and Jacob, who was to be given the name Israel, from which the Israelites <coughs> descended. He is the God of Moses, the God who is here. The God of Moses, the Moses who was astonishingly and miraculously called to set the Israelites free from Egypt. Same God. He's the God of Joshua, of Samuel, here of David, King David, of the prophets who, who spoke warnings to the Jewish people and prophesied about what was to come and foretold the coming of the Messiah. He's the God who came to us in his son Jesus Christ. 
He's the same God who called and equipped the first disciples to serve him and commissioned them to take the gospel to all nations. Since then, he is the God who has enabled that gospel to spread across the world. He's the God who has brought about great revivals of Christian faith, and he's the God who will bring the final judgment when Jesus returns in power and glory. Now, that's just a little synopsis of who this God is, and he is here. And for him, being here and calling Abram all those years ago is like just a passing moment. Because he's not confined to our ways of doing things and our time frames. This is our God. He is the Redeemer God. The Redeemer God who loves you. And if your trust is in Jesus, who has prepared a place for you, or Jesus has prepared that for you. He has no rival. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is utterly faithful. He does not exist for us. We exist for him. And is not to be trivialized, blasphemed, or sidelined. This is the God who's here. This is the God David is longing for as he writes this psalm. And I need to ask the question, is this your God? Because if it isn't, you're worshiping the wrong one. For many, God becomes the convenience, the one who we can drag into our lives if we need a bit of help now and then, as long as he doesn't interfere too much, and as long as he doesn't tell us what we have to do, as long as there's no standards we have to uphold. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's grace that saves us. I know all that. But nevertheless, the holiness of God is totally untainted, and he calls us to be a holy people. So what's it to be, the God of convenience or the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the rest? Because he's the one who's here to meet with us this morning. Have you met him? Have you encountered this God? Because once encountered, really encountered, everything changes. I am utterly convinced that one reason, it's not foolproof, I understand, and you could accuse me of being too simplistic, so I need to say there are other issues involved, but one reason why very often, young Christians growing through the life of the church, well taught, can speak all the right words, say all the right things, know all the right doctrines, but don't really go on with God is because they've never been encouraged to meet him, to know him. It is the encounter with God that changes us. The truth about him, of course, it matters. We've just explained who God is. But just knowing that truth doesn't change it. Meeting him does. David had encountered God in the, in the sanctuary, he says. As he's there, as he's uh, 
letting his thoughts run as he's longing for God. He, he's remembering. He's remembering at the tabernacle he would come and worship. An inter interesting thing about the tabernacle of David in the Old Testament, it seems to have shifted a bit from the tabernacle of Moses. There's that little bit of sort of bit in Israelite history where it seems as if lots of people were welcome to come and worship in ways that seemed to override uh, the protocols. But David had encountered God in worship. He'd, he'd caught a glimpse of his power, a glimpse of his glory. Remember Moses? Moses knew the glory of God in the tabernacle, in, in the tent, and he would come. He, in fact, he couldn't get enough of it. The people would watch as he'd go. And they'd watch as he'd come back. And he'd have a, a veil over his face because the glow on his face from the glory of God was terrifying to them. And Moses spent so much time with God, he positively shone with his presence. Later, Isaiah was to encounter God. And we read about that in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. I'm not suggesting this was Isaiah's first encounter with God, but this was a significant one. This is what it says. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which had been taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. I don't believe for one minute Isaiah would have said that without the experience of catching a glimpse of the glory of God. The message he was given, Isaiah, was a tough one. It would bring him huge ridicule and persecution but he'd encountered God, and he was spoiled for anything else. I think it's great, good, feels good, yeah. Nothing like that happens these days. <laughs> well, here lies the problem, you see. Lots of things do happen these days. On a personal note, I just want to explain that at different times in my ministry over the years, there have been times in worship when the presence of God has been almost overpowering, where it's been, his presence has been so seemingly tangible, you would feel as if you could reach out and touch him, where even breathing became hard because he just seemed to fill the whole place. And it wasn't just an individualistic experience that I was having, the whole congregation was like that, almost. Times when I and others have been dissolved by his magnificence by his undeserved love. Just precious, precious, precious times. It changes everything. It changes the way you look at life. It changes the way you look at people. But I have found that when most Christians hear of others having encounters with God or some of these great stories, 
they begin to hide. They say, oh well, these people are probably exaggerating anyway. Or, yes, lovely, but it's a very rare thing and experiences shouldn't be sought, should they? Only God should be sought, not the experience of God. Uh, let me ask you how you can have one without the other. And some even think, I don't really want God disturbing my comfortable church experience. Jimmy Kirby was Minister of Music at Liberty First Baptist Church in South Carolina. And a team from them came to the church that I was leading uh, on the edge of Reading. And we had a, a really special time with them at the final service. Final service, he, he sang, sang a solo. Um, he sang the song. Uh, it'll come back to me. Oh, I should have written that down, shouldn't I? Anyway, he, he sang this song about uh, the, the holy presence of God, the holy nature of the place where we were. And as he was about to sing it, he said, I really believe I need to take my shoes off because this is holy ground, which means I've remembered it now. We are standing on holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around, was the song. And he took his shoes off and he sang it. I was deeply moved. Nearly all of the congregation were deeply moved. And one couple came to me afterwards and said, I bet he does that everywhere. Just the deafness. The deafness. But it's a, it's a mechanism for hiding. People are a little bit nervous of the glory of God. In years of ministry, I have met people who have told me that they've got to the door of the church several times before having the courage to come in. In some cases, it was because they were terrified of the people, what they find. <laughs> but many of them said, I got to the door and I knew there was something in there that was beyond my capacity to cope with. And it frightened me. The presence of God. The presence of God. Sunday by Sunday, we gather together to praise God to encounter him. There's no curtain now, you know. When the Bible says that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, the very holiest of holies where only the priest was allowed to go once a year has become where we live. It's not even only happened when we come together. It, it's where we exist because of what Jesus has done. But that doesn't mean the glory of God is diminished. That doesn't mean our encounter with him is somehow substandard. It's meant to draw us into an ever deeper relationship, as Andy was saying earlier, relationship with his father who loves us so, so much. Once you've tasted special moments like this, you long for his touch and you long for his voice. And, I, and God forgive me that sometimes I let my expectations drop. Most Sundays I come and I expect to be God and I, and I want to I want to know that glory sometimes I, but the more I expect the more I discover him but sometimes I come and I let my expectations drop and I'm too busy working out whether I've done what I should have done if I was on the door or if I'd spoken to so and so and all that kind of stuff so who is your God? Have you met him? And so it is that God calls us earnestly to thirst and to long for him.
We live in times when spirit, the spiritual ground is dry, when the problems of this world seem to become more and more overwhelming. We think about the war in Ukraine, the threat uh, of China, the global scale of stuff. When we think about the uh, economic crunch, cost of living crisis, when you think about what your bills will be like in a few months' time. And that's before we get to the personal tragedies. That's before we get to the heartaches of everyday living and that all families go through. When you think of all that, we need to learn from David seek God earnestly every word of it earnestly so let's, let's learn from David he, he talks about seeking God in the watches of the night the watches of the night uh, scholars vary depending on who you believe three watches or four watches but actually the night ones were three watches and it's quite simple somebody was on watch and after their time boom, they hand over to somebody else so if you are having a sleepless night and you were in your tent, you'd hear the watch changing over. Hello, Joe. Hello, Fred. Your turn now. Yeah. Mm. A few hours later, same process. Have you ever been sleepless at night? Have you ever lain there thinking, I'll go to sleep soon? I'll go to sleep soon. I really will go to sleep soon. And then something happens, and you think, oh, that's the first airplane taking off from, from Newcastle Airport. Ah, hmm. David says, in the watches of the night when I can't sleep, I desire you. I seek you. Then he talks about clinging to God, clinging to him. Boy, did he need that. His, his whole future seemed to be up, up in smoke. He, he didn't know what was going to happen next. He, was he going to be restored? It didn't look like it at the time. He clings to God. Are you ashamed to cling? Remember Jacob? Jacob wrestled with God all night. I will not let you go until you bless me. And what a blessing he got. God dislocated his hip. And he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And I have not the slightest doubt that Jacob thanked God every day for that limp. Because it reminded him. And then, of course, singing under the shelter of God's wings. Now, I have to confess here, in case you hadn't worked it out, I love singing. I just love singing. And just about all the time, in my head, there's either songs I know going on or songs I'm making up going on of thanksgiving to God. And so as not to wake Betty up, if I'm lying there in the middle of the night, all the precious songs and the new songs, I don't sing out loud, but I sing in my head all the time. And it blesses the socks off me. Not that I wear socks in bed, unless it's very cold. The other night, I was. Uh, the other night, a song was just there, uh, a Salvation Army song. So you you wouldn't know it. I was brought up in the Salvation Army. For those of you who don't know, 
an old song which says, how can I better serve thee, Lord? Thou who has done so much for me, faltering and weak my labor has been. Oh, that my life would tell for thee. Here at the cross in this sacred hour, here at the source of reviving power, helpless indeed I come with my need. Lord, for thy service fitly I bleed. What a great song. Oh, difficult to get to sleep then because you're loving the song so much. The sheltering wings of a God who loves you is a safe place for you to express your love to him. And as I've just hinted, you don't actually have to sing out loud, but let the melody of your heart reach out to him. It's not, this Christian life is not about getting all your doctrines right. Please, get all your doctrines right. Even when you disagree with me, I'm happy for you to be right, most of the time. Um, get all your doctrines right, that's fine. But this Christian life is about relationship with a father who loves us, with this almighty God who beckons us into his presence, who wants us to know him and experience his glory and be changed and transformed by his presence. When we begin to live like that, true perspective returns. Whatever the difficulties. We're better off for David than David was. Because we know... Jesus, Jesus was the one who said to the woman at the well, uh, you know, that the water that he gives will be the water of life, like a well, a spring springing up constantly. So we don't have to go hunting for God out there. We, we hunt for God who lives within us, who's always with us. When we come with holy expectation, corporate or private, and allow his spirit to flow afresh, giving him time and seeking a deeper experience, not so that we can have a ooh experience, but so that we can know him, then we can echo David's words. I will rejoice in God. I will rejoice in God. Whatever is happening, whatever the circumstances of life, I will rejoice in God because he is always there and he doesn't change. And then his love is better than life. We sang about uh, your love is like the wildest ocean. Oh, wow, is it? Like a roller coaster sometimes. And that's our problem. He, his love doesn't change, but our receptiveness to it. Whoa, 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 whoa. The experience of it varies so much. So much so that Paul was able to say with all his heart for me to live is Christ. To die is better than that. His love is better than life itself. Worth dying for, you know. Worth living for as well, his love. And he will satisfy, as we enter into these experiences with him and draw close to him, it's like we're being fed with the richest of foods. I don't mean physically here, spiritually. David's saying, it's, it's like everything is laid before me. I can feed on him and find my spirits restored and my whole strength renewed and our songs of praise can go on and on and on and on and on oh, and in case you think wow this guy's got it all sorted <laughs> no no <laughs> on good days yes but god has to keep teaching me over and over and over again so will you seek him this morning will you seek him earnestly more than that will you make that your default position 
Jeremiah 29, 13 is one of a number of occasions in the Bible which has words like this. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for sometimes coming close but not entering in. Forgive us for loving all the truth about you and not allowing ourselves to love you. Forgive us to learning about your grace and your daily mercy and your spirit's touch and then not receiving that as you want us to. Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you give us a fresh encounter with you? Would you help us leave this place so filled with the reality of your love that life has changed again and we have another step forward in our walk with you? Be our teacher, be our Lord, and give us an ever greater hunger for you and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask